It's great to be with you today. If you'd find your Bible, open it to Isaiah chapter 6. We'll look at this wonderful text today as I want to really address one of the key purposes of the church. And as you would know, first and foremost and primarily, we are to be people who worship God. You know, oftentimes when we think of the purposes of the church, we think about evangelism and discipleship and, and certainly the proclamation of the word and, and, uh, and how we can equip people to be in service to the Lord. And indeed, those are important purposes of the church. But what is primary and fundamental is that you and I, the called out ones of God, worship God as we ought. Because all, because all of those things, all of those services, all of those works flow out of a heart of worship. It's not a surprise that God would have us to be a first worshipers, even in the first commandment that he gave us, he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus said, look, you're to worship and you're to worship in spirit and in truth. And so we congregate together every Sunday because we worship together. Yes, indeed, we work together, we witness together, we willingly come together, but really it's all for the glory of God and then secondly for the edification of the saints of God. This passage out of Isaiah chapter 6 is really related to Isaiah the prophet, the 8th century prophet's call experience, his encounter with God that spurred a prophetic ministry that would last over 50 years in Judah. But I believe we can see in this passage contained is really a pattern for right and biblical worship and how these components and Isaiah's experience lead us to best glorify God and worship really in a progressive experience in this encounter with God that will ultimately send us in, on service for him, on mission for him. It was A.W. Tozer who said, first we're to be worshipers and then we're to be workers. You know, I'm convinced there's a lot of people who come to church because when Sunday comes around, it's just habitual. That's what they do on Sunday. They don't, really don't engage in worship. They don't sing the songs. They don't pray. They just sit motionless and oftentimes unmoved. It was said of Napoleon, he used to go to the musical theater in France, not because he loved music, but because it gave him opportunity to, to get in a quiet place and think about military strategy or some other kind of conquest he was up to, totally detached from what was going on there in the theater. You know, I read that and I thought that's often like it is in church life. People come, but they, they're not really here. They're present, but they're not present. They find themselves coming to church to make plans, to schedule their days ahead, to, to think about the issues that they have before them, totally distracted and checked out on the purpose at hand. And today, if I'm speaking to you, wouldn't this be a wonderful day to hear the Word of God and engage in worship to our Lord and be transformed from an encounter with Him? When I was pastoring back in Oklahoma, there was a prominent uh, businessman that went to the church that I was pastoring. And... Uh, the first weeks that I could see him and, and, and tell that what he was doing, man, I'm thinking, this guy's taking some copious notes on every message I preach. I mean, he, he, I can't believe it. Later, I learned he was doing business plans in, in the church, and so he's working out his, his next uh, business venture, and uh, I guess not unlike Napoleon, it gave you a chance to do that. Anyhow, I hope you're not doing that today, and I want to draw your attention to the Lord God. So please stand in honor of reading the Word of God. It'll be on the screen today. You follow along as I read. 
and then we'll unpack this passage. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Father, I pray today that we would leave today really not only encountering you, but leaving with this same expression of faith. Lord, we may not be much, but we're your people, and we're willing to say yes to whatever you call us to be and do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin by talking about that first verse, what I'm calling the contemplation, because it simply says this, this happened the year that King Uzziah died, which would have been about 740 B.C., And I'm telling you, though, this was more than a reference of the chronicling the date of this event that uh, was Isaiah's call experience. But King Uzziah dying was no small deal. First off, he had been the king of Judah for some 52 years. And according to 2 Kings chapter 15, he had done what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not in perfection. You remember, he he, he refused to destroy the high places of Baal. But he also personally had burned incense in the temple, which was responsible then, obviously, just for the priests. And as a result, God would strike him with leprosy, and he suffered that until his death. And all of this brought some instability in the nation. But what I want you to see with me, this was more than just a national crisis, a national deal with Isaiah. It was a personal reason. You see, Uzziah was Isaiah's first cousin. Isaiah's dad and Uzziah's uh, dad were brothers. And as you know, uh, as it always is the case, when something, someone dies in our life that's important to us, that we have loved and cared about, they pass away. It affects us oftentimes. And we realize, maybe like never before in desperation, how fleeting life can be. I don't know if you looked in, or have read The Compass today, but it's a testimony of, not, of Tom Caudill, who is, uh, is being elected to serve as elder here. And he talks about the event in his life in 1991 when his dad suddenly died of a heart attack and it resulted in Tom's own conversion. Because it's oftentimes in those times of desperation, we become reflective and begin to contemplate really what's important. And it's true, you see, our encounter with God is often birthed out of a crisis. You may be here today and you're walking through some difficult times. Maybe there's some concerns in your life. Maybe someone that you love has suddenly passed away. Maybe someone you love has has left you. 
Maybe you've been stricken with a, 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 a problem, and a serious illness. You lose your job. These, these health crises are always uh, paramount in our life. We're, we're concerned about relationships in life. And all of these things collectively grab our attention. So I'm telling you, it was in that context of grief and grappling with eternal things that Isaiah encountered God. It was the psalmist who understood that when he said, I thought on my ways, and then I turned my feet into thy testimonies. So in the context, sure, of national implications, the king of 52 years was gone, but it was personal with Isaiah. Someone he loved had died. His life had ended, and so he encounters God. And from this encounter, God would sovereignly use it to call him into this prophetic ministry. Maybe God will use the crisis in your life to do the same, to help you recalibrate, to help you reevaluate, and to seek him while he still may be found. There's a time of contemplation. But I want you to see with me under Roman number two what I'm calling the confrontation because he simply says, I was confronted by the Lord God. I saw the Lord. What an incredible reality. He looks at the, Lord, at the Lord God. But we know the Old Testament tells us whoever looks at, at God will, will suddenly die. But just when you think Isaiah is going to tell us a little bit about what God looked like, he begins to talk about his trappings. He simply talks about his throne, his robe. And, and all I can conclude is this. Having a look at God, at words will not express the, he, the indescribable one, the words that we can tell is not adequate. They're not sufficient for communicating the greatness and the grandeur of his being. It's like trying to describe the color blue to a blind person. Or it's like trying to communicate to the deaf person what the symphony sounds like. And I know this, this encounter, this confrontation, it moved Isaiah to worship and bow down to the king of glory. It altered his life. It set him on a different course. It was the genesis of his calling. So understand true worship should begin with a personal encounter with God. It does with us when we meet the Lord in salvation. You and I ask the Lord Jesus to come in our life through the mercy and grace of God. We're humble in his presence. Christ becomes real in our life. We repent and believe we're born again. And through repentance and faith in God, all of a sudden we're able to worship as we ought. And we find ourselves being able to encounter God. And we express this worship in our singing, in our praying, in our serving, in our loving, in our giving. But I'm telling you, it all begins when you and I get a right heart with God in an encounter with Him. As we meet the Creator, Sustainer, and Redeemer, and we ascribe to Him His, His value, His worth, His magnificence. Two things I notice quickly is about His position. God is in the temple, and He's enthroned, and He is highly exalted. The omnipotence of God towering over all earthly things, all earthly beings. He is not like us. He's above us. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He is the holy other. But here's what we have done in the 21st century. We have humanized God and we've deified man. You see, the way God often is worshipped in the Western culture is not worshiping the creator who is, but instead the creation. We're not bowing down before God. 
because we're mainly infatuated <clears throat> with our own selves, with our narcissistic pleasures, with our rights, with our privileges. But here Isaiah reminds us that God's enthroned. He's exalted. And we see not only his position, but he talks about his praise as these seraphim, these angelic creatures encircling the throne, declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Talk about the chief attribute of God. It's right here. It's the holiness of God. When we talk about the holiness of God, certainly we're communicating his divine purity and his holiness but the word itself means to be set apart, to be unique. It's to be separate from creation. And whether it's an angelic being like the seraphim or the cherubim, the principalities or powers, or even us who are the crowning work of God's creation, we're not like him. He's holy. He's perfect. He's praiseworthy. He's set apart. He's worthy of our praise. This is our God. And remember, the closer we get to God, the more we worship him. And the more it always humbles us. But hear me today, if we distance ourselves, soon we become indifferent. We become indifferent to the things of God. But the, the call always goes out, if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Thirdly, I see the confession that's made. Isaiah looks at, at the Lord in his splendor. And the moment he saw himself in his own sad situation and in desperation, Here's the deal, though. It's not as if Isaiah were some reprobate or some grievous sinner or some re rebellious insurrectionist. No, honestly, this guy may have been the most holy man in all of Israel. But when he sees the Lord, he saw himself as he was, and that's when he declared, Woe is me, man, I am undone. So as long as we make other people the standard for our goodness and our virtue, we always feel pretty good about ourselves. Believe me, Isaiah could have looked around all of Israel and felt pretty good about himself. And when we do that, you know why we do it? Because it gives us a little moral leverage. I mean, after all, we're as good as our messed up neighbor. And truth of the matter is, you could find some church leader maybe that you could rival in, in your own virtue. But I'm telling you today, the standard is not that guy. The standard is the holiness of God. And can I tell you, we're all morally bankrupt. We're all undone. We're all guilty. And we must respond as the publican did. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Listen, if we become self-righteous, it's because we begin to look around and begin to feel better about ourselves, about our, our own poor behavior. But Isaiah says, I've seen the Lord, and I'm guilt-ridden. He said, I've seen the Lord, and I'm a mess. I've seen the Lord and I'm a dead man. Woe is me. And he was gravely convicted of his sin. And conviction brought this confession. The confession of Isaiah is focused on his speech, on his lips. That's what he says. Maybe some things that he had said. Maybe some things that he refused to say. But he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live in a country full of men of unclean lips. Chuck Swindoll speculating said sure Isaiah could have been guilty of profaning the name of Jehovah or maybe he betrayed the confidence of someone maybe he had been guilty of telling a lie it was Peter Kim who said nine out of ten Americans tell a thousand lies a year maybe Isaiah told a lie and here Isaiah confesses his sin and the sin of the entire nation declaring I'm trapped 
I'm trapped not only within my own self, but I'm trapped in this country, this nation, this world of guilty people who have sinned against God. God, forgive us. So authentic worship involves true confession as you and I are made right with God through confession of our sin. You know this verse. Many of you have memorized it. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So how do we get right with God? We confess our sin. That word confess is a wonderful word in the Greek New Testament, homo legeo. Homo meaning same. Legeo means words. Lagos, word. We say the same words about our sin that God is saying about our sins. And when we come into agreement about the things we've done to sin against God, he makes us clean before him. You see, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes, the Bible says, shall find mercy. Now let's talk about the cleansing. We find here the ministry of these seraphim, these angelic creatures. They're going and they take these tongs, these hot coals from the altar. And we see the marvelous grace of God providing atonement, forgiveness to the confession of Isaiah as he, as he confesses and forsakes his sin. So there's some uh, immediate steps that Isaiah confesses. And then what happens here is noteworthy. He brings with tongs this, this scorching fire, these, these hot coals, and he presses them to the lips of Isaiah. That was the area of his sin. And suddenly he is made clean. And Isaiah felt the holy flames burn away his iniquity. The holy fire of God brought forgiveness and burned away the filth of his mouth. And then Isaiah instantaneously is restored. That's what God does with us. No, pen, re, uh, no penance to pay, no re, rehab to do, no works to justify us. It's just God's grace fulfilling God's promise of forgiveness. Isn't that what happened at Calvary 2,000 years ago? In that once for all redemptive act of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, the same God Isaiah encountered that day, who came incarnate in Jesus Christ, demonstrating his love for sinners such as us, sends his only begotten to an old rugged cross to die our death that we could live his life, atoning for the sins of mankind to all who would but believe. And now whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered, will be saved. Yet I may be speaking to some today who are still, still guilt-ridden and living in your shame. Oh, God has forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven yourself. You keep beating yourself up with past behavior, with personal guilt. And if I'm speaking to you today, if you'll simply confess and accept God's promise, it'll set you free. God's setting you free. You've got to set yourself free as well. Stand on his promise. I love what it says in Acts chapter 3. Repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And then this, then times of refreshing will come from the Lord. And then we see this call under Roman numeral 5. Here's what I know. When you and I encounter God, it, it changes us. When you and I encounter God, it corrects us. It converts us. It compels us. It constrains us. And it sets in motion our desire to put God first in our life. 
and that we might actually hear the voice of God calling us to do and be the things he desires for us to be. The Bible says this, today if you hear his voice, today if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. You see the pattern with me today? It always begins when we encounter God. We'll never be any different till we have a long, hard look at God. And you know, here's the thing. We, we can't hitchhike on somebody else's experience. We can't fabricate our own experience. It's got to be our experience. It's got to be personal. And when it's personal, then it'll be powerful. This encounter will result in us seeing our iniquities, our weaknesses, our mistaken ideas, our own personal self-righteousness, because it always strips us down and expresses our vulnerability and our need. Through our agreement with God in confession and cleansing, then God does this. He calls us to action. And here we see Isaiah fresh from this encounter with God, forgiven, cleansed of his iniquities. Then he hears the voice of God. You know, I just wonder, had God been calling all along, who will go for us? Who can I send? But Isaiah didn't have ears to hear. He may be calling in your life, but you haven't had ears to hear. You're too consumed with everything else but hearing from God. And finally, we see this commitment that's made. Because this expression by Isaiah is, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, send me. You know, I think oftentimes in today's church, we say, here am I, but here am I, Lord, send John. Here, here am I, Lord, send David. Here, here am I, Lord. Uh, uh, honey, would you go do this at the church? Do that for the Lord. Yeah, we say, here am I, but let's get somebody else to do the heavy lifting. Let's get somebody else to do what God's calling us to do. But here's what's going on in this text. I'm about to wind this down. Stay with me. From brokenness through shame to being on mission for God. And I'm telling you, that ought to be the story of every one of us who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're here this morning and you have no desire to be sent anywhere by God or do anything for God, I wonder it's because your, your faith is stale and you need a fresh encounter with the true and living God. Isaiah declares after his call and consecration, he said, Lord, you don't need to look anywhere else. You've got me. Here, my Lord, send me. You know what it is? It's a picture of the grace of God. A picture that begins when one broken man, like Humpty Dumpty, who had been shattered. But with Humpty, as you know, no one in the kingdom could put him back together again. But God would take Isaiah and put him back together like he had never been before. From a shattered, shameful, sinful man with a dirty mouth to become God's mouthpiece for 52 years. How? By the matchless grace of God. Oh, can I tell you today, God wants to invade your life with his grace, with his unmerited favor. He wants to set you on a new course, never too late for a new beginning. And you indeed can begin afresh with him today. It'll start perhaps in your own heart when you realize something needs to change, something needs to be different. And through your own contemplation, you look to the right person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change your heart, 
change your desires, change your path, change your purpose. I wonder, do you know him today? Have you given your heart to him? Are you living in right relationship with the God that Isaiah encountered, the God we know in Jesus Christ? Would you bow your heads with me today? As we always do, we give a public invitation and give people opportunity to make decisions for the Lord. You may be here today and God's spoken to your heart, maybe about some sourness in your own spirit, about some things that need to be different, some things that need to change, maybe some things that uh, are upside down in your life. You're, you're just coming to church out of an obligation, and truth of the matter is you rarely worship God. And maybe God is using this text to say once again, I want your heart. I want your all. I want your life. I want you to get up and out of your sin. I want you to get honest before me and confess the error of your ways and set your feet on the solid rock, a firm foundation of faith. In his love, he calls you to do that. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and in me you can find rest for your soul. My yoke will be easy. My burden will be light. And he invites you to come today. Come. Come today. God wants to meet you today. And he asks you to come. Just a moment. We're going to stand to our feet. This will be your opportunity to respond to this invitation. David's going to leave this invitation him. As we've done since we came months ago begin to give this public invitation invite people to come and make decisions for God sure if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ with your life today may be the day of your salvation your appointed time and God's calling you today to come unashamedly to come from the shadows and stand in the light as a public profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ come today if I'm speaking to you you may be here today and sitting in the far corner of this sanctuary but God has you in his scope, in his heart, and in his eyes. He's calling you even to come and through confessing of your situation with someone who will love you and pray for you as we wait in anticipation to do that, you come. If you're burdened about some things, let us bear your burden so we can fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love. Come today. This is God's invitation. I can give the outward call only. God can change your heart. Only he can transform your life. But it's through the foolishness of preaching he chooses to save some. I'm praying today that he will rescue you and save you. Father, this is your invitation now. I pray that as we've sought to preach this text as clear and as transparent as it's been with us, I pray today that it would not return void, but it would accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. And now I pray as we extend this invitation for, for just a moment that this would be the time of application where people be honest before you. I pray that some would come. We wait in anticipation, O Holy Spirit of God, as you come to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment for the sake of our Savior. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Just as I am, without one plea, but thy blood was shed for me. 
you come right now. I'll be right here if you'd like to make a decision. If I can pray with you, the staff and the other, uh, others here at the front, if you'd like to come, you come right now while we sing God Calls. I tell you, one of the most enjoyable parts of coming to Hoffman Town is getting to worship with you guys every week. And I just want to give another shout out to David. The music and the text was so well coordinated and so so right. And David, I just want to say a word of appreciation. God bless you. It's always good to get to worship with fitting songs that fit the message. And I know God's been glorified in that. Glad you've been here today. Uh, one of my dear friends is sitting right here close to the front, John Jones. He's the Chief Operating Officer of Guidestone Financial. And uh, of course, uh, O.S. Hawkins, who's the uh, President and CEO of Guidestone, was here, preached a couple of weeks ago. John and his wife, Ann, uh, have a home over in, uh, uh, in Santa Fe and drove over today to worship with us. John, God bless you guys. We love you. And uh, so appreciate the ministry you have at Guidestone to all of us preachers and uh, that have depended on you so long. That's all I got. So uh, good to see you. 
Y'all get out of here. God bless you for being here. (laughs) 